happening now. We want to welcome our viewers from across the United States and around the world. This is the EdTech Situation Room. Good morning, good day, good evening. This is EdTech Situation Room, episode number 266 for the 10th of August in 2022. My name is Jason Neifer, and I'm the executive director of the Montana Digital Academy, which is Montana State Virtual School, located on the beautiful University of Montana campus right here in record heat, Missoula, Montana, where it's currently, I was going to look up this number, and now I'm going to have to fill time. It is 86 degrees at uh, 7.03 at night. So um, it's warm outside here, and we had our seventh hottest day of all time two weeks ago. So um, I think we're we're having a summer, you might say. And joining me from, I don't even know where you're at. Where are you at tonight, Dr. Fryer? I am in Matthews, North Carolina. And is that where we, you will be forever here? Or is that, are you yeah. in Matthews? Same like, or... Pretty well. So, yes, I am Wes Fryer, and <clears throat> I'm joining you from the greater Charlotte, North Carolina metropolitan area, specifically Matthews, which is a suburb to the southeast of city center. And I have started this week work at my new job at Providence Day School as a media literacy and computer science middle school teacher. I'll be teaching two sections of robotics and two sections of our computer applications course for sixth, seventh, and eighth graders. And I've been uh, having a bit of a chaotic and wild time with lots of uh, things going on in our lives, but things are are uh, basically going as well as they probably could at this point. And <clears throat> all faculty were back today, and we had a little back-to-school uh, barbecue with some Carolina barbecue. And uh, one of our other new teachers is a a barbecue aficionado. So, you know, things, things are good. So, uh, and we are, I was looking, I think it's 70 degrees right now. So <clears throat> last Wednesday, it was 106 degrees in Oklahoma city. Sunday night, we woke up about 15 miles outside of Boone, North Carolina at about 2,300 feet above sea level. It was 64 degrees. So wow, that felt delicious, but we've been getting into the low nineties, uh, but it's been raining every, uh, every, uh, evening or afternoon evening and so anyway they they rarely get over 100 here but it's it's in the 90s and so they think it's really hot but i'm like this is great (laughs) yeah totally besides the summer weather dr neifer and we are by the way thank you very much for adjusting um an hour earlier than we have been for 265 previous episodes but what are uh what are we going to do here tonight dr neifer well, um, Wes and I scour the internet uh, pretty frequently. Uh, sometimes we'll even do research, and we stick articles that we're interested in talking about um, in our show notes. You can see all of our links at edtechsr.com, but um, we found some things that we think may have some application to schools, um, teachers, students, uh, administrators, uh, as they navigate the tech jungle that exists out there. And tonight, uh, we have our usual uh, plethora of links Uh some Apple kind of what ifs, uh, Google, Microsoft, some social media news, privacy news, security news, the so-called tech correction, uh, the miscellaneous or potent potables, as I like to sometimes call that category, um, video conferencing, uh, cryptocurrency, computer science, media literacy. It's going to go on podcasting, hardware, the future. There's so many things tonight to talk about, uh, Dr. Fryer. Is there any particular topic you'd like to talk about first tonight? Oh, my goodness. Well, and I apologize for having to do a late cancellation last week. Um, I haven't I haven't looked at the links in a while. So your eyes are 
are fresher. But if I was just going to go by quantity of links, it's going to be a toss-up between Tech Correction or Google. Uh, before going down a rabbit hole, why don't why don't you just brief us on where we are with the Googles? Because it looks like sure. there's a fair number of Chrome OS updates to talk about this week. Yeah, well, part of the point that I wanted to make um, is with all these links is that there is a lot of there's a lot happening in Chrome OS world, and in fact, I'm going to share a link later tonight that I think could be an interesting future for the Chrome operating system. Um, because there are virtual browsers uh, that stream results uh, uh, available now in beta, and I've been playing with one that I'll share with my as my geek of the week later. But I think that Google is really turning the Chromebook into a uh, super high-end operating system. And for those of you that are power users, and that's not everyone, it's not um, you know a requirement to be a power user to be a tech-savvy teacher in today's world. But for those of you that are looking for advanced operating system features, I think Chrome OS is really doing um, a pretty extraordinary work to provide a stable platform that meets power users' needs. And while I love having access um, to a, a, a MacBook um, on a frequent basis, I could certainly get away with making a Chrome operating system my full-time OS. But I want to share two articles that talk about uh, the most recent release and then something that's coming up um, in um, the future. But this is from uh, Chrome Unboxing on August 5th. Uh, Joanna Romero re- reports that Chrome OS 104 is now rolling out and has some interesting new features. And uh, I picked it up. Um, I have a couple of active daily Chromebooks in my life. Um, I bought another one a couple weeks ago. But the point is, is that uh, it's just it was an amazing deal on, on eBay. I couldn't turn it down. But um, in my defense, I did sell some others. So um, the first big change is there's finally a light and dark mode on Chrome OS, and you may or may not even cognizantly think about light and dark mode. It's a big deal in geek land because um, uh, both uh, because of visual preferences and also because there's some pretty good research that if you you take white backgrounds off of things and don't defer to white, it's actually an enormous power saver. Um, and, and not just from the standpoint of your battery, but, you know, from the environment and saving resources. Um, but there is now a way to do a, either an auto light or dark mode or a light or dark mode. And all you need to do is go where you would usually have set up the wallpaper um, on the Chrome operating system and you can change uh, to either one. And um, uh, I think that is pretty great. Um, there's also uh, uh, a couple of tweaks you can make there. And, and also, um, there is more, um, opportunity now to, uh, to personalize the Chrome OS experience. Uh, for example, uh, wallpaper started as just, you know, you could pick from these two or three wallpapers back in, in early Chrome OS days. But now, not only can you pick from some pretty impressive libraries, like beautiful, thoughtful pieces of, of digital art to be your background, you can also access um, your your Google Photos now directly, and so you can create pieces there. Um, because I'm a nerd, and actually I love I love a good piece of, of electronic wallpaper. Um, I have uh, I, I change over time because uh, frankly I just I like the ethic of sometimes being here and sometimes being there. And I have travel photos and um, some wonderful historical images and some Vincent Van Gogh paintings that are part of my wallpaper collection. So I keep a folder on my Google uh, a Docs drive shared with all my other Google accounts with all my favorite wallpapers on it, but uh, you can do a lot of interesting uh, things now with wallpaper. 
There's a screensaver available, which kind of feels like flying toasters from, from 25 years ago, but nonetheless, uh, that there's that. Um, and there's also, um, some more practical things that I think are really great. One of them is that, um, Siri thinks I'm having trouble hearing you. Yes, you are Siri. Uh, and I just said her name again. Um, the, um, uh, for example, uh, you click on the date in the, the taskbar now, and it brings up a full monthly calendar, which I think is a, a really great uh, feature. Um, and the gallery app, which is the, the, the media app on Chrome OS, now allows you to uh, uh, annotate PDFs, which means you could sign um, a, a document uh, on Chrome OS now. And of everything you've said, and, and I honestly hadn't actually heard or thought about the environmental impact side of dark mode. I just kind of thought about that as a, you know, good on the eyes at night and, and convenient. But annotation of PDFs is huge. One of the things that really stood out for the Google Classroom application a couple of years ago when we did a pilot of iPad one-to-one was the fact that you could so readily annotate PDFs inside the Classroom app, not using Classroom in Safari on the iPad, but using the app. So the last two years, we were one-to-one iPad or one-to-one Chromebook with uh, sixth grade and then or fifth, fifth, basically fifth and sixth grade. And so anyway, I think that is outstanding because just about anything can be converted to a PDF and being, sorry, and my dogs are, uh, and, and so being able to readily annotate something is, I mean, as we're... <laughs> been working on selling a house now remotely and, uh, you know, purchasing and just the literally hundreds of forms that we've signed, you know, uh, being able to sign things electronically is really important, but just being able to fill stuff out. But I would say to do an educational technology connection, it means that you need a stylus. So we were using Dell, um, I don't know, they weren't many 11s, but anyway, Dell 11 Chromebooks that were, uh, you know, new a couple of years ago. Styluses were $25. They weren't like the $100 or $60 I, I, iPad ones. But anyway, if you yeah. you don't have styluses, and I know there's a lot of folks out there with Chromebooks without styluses, I, I would love to see the stylus become an absolute core part of every single student's Chromebook, I was going to say arsenal, but, you know, just like toolkit, toolkit. Let's, let's go with the nonviolent. Um, because... Um, you know, with, with not only filling out, you know, worksheets and, and being able to, to do hand, you know, handwritten things, sketch noting is so absolutely wonderful. And it's just like, I think if you want to fully deploy your creative capacity using technology, you need a microphone, <laughs> you need a camera, uh, and you need a stylus. So I'll get off that soapbox, but yay. I'm glad to hear yeah, that news. I- I could agree more. And, and I think it's a sign of what's to come in regards to Chrome OS. And then one other quick article. Um, this is from earlier July. This is from Kevin Tofel at about Chromebooks and Chrome 105, which would be the next release that should show up in about a month. Maybe it's five weeks between releases now, but Chrome 105 is going to offer partial split windows and multitasking buttons. Um, uh, in the, you know, integrated into the operating system. And what's interesting about that to me is that, um, uh, Windows already has a pretty, uh, robust system for that in Windows 11 now. And I'll admit, I'm a, a really huge proponent of screen, um, uh, 
uh, of screen management. And I think if you've got huge monitors, which is what I'm staring into right now, I have a, a 30 something inch 4K monitor that I'm staring into. And then I have a side monitor here that's vertical, that's on its side. Um, uh, uh, that I'm using for, let's see what I got up here. I got Spotify, I've got my work chat window, and then I have my, uh, uh, uh webcam, uh, 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 control app that adds my background in. I'm, I'm a nerd, uh, ladies and gentlemen, but, um, uh, but you know, here I am on my main monitor and I use a, a really cool app that is called Divi, um, on the Mac and PC that allows me to, you know, place my windows on one side or one side or the other. So on my right hand window, I have uh, Dr. Fryer here in StreamYard and my left hand window, I've got our links and um, you know, this notion of kind of managing your windows, I think is really important. And, and if you're on a small monitor, um, I've learned over time that, you know, you can put uh, one window, you know, 80% of the case on the left and one window, 80% of the space on the right. And that's easy to click back and forth with one another. And, um, you know, those are little things, but I really do think that they really help productivity. And this is what powers users look for, right? And, and those are the types of things the power users use. Um, a long time ago, uh, when Dr. Fryer and I met face to face, uh, he called, uh, he had asked me if I were super into the, the gestures, um, on, um, uh, uh, my MacBook Pro, the, the, the track on my MacBook Pro, and he called them Jedi moves, um, which is a very, a Dr. Fry reference, but, um, you know, I, I like creating little Jedi tricks, right? And being able to move back and forth from your screens, uh, with, you know, using just your trackpad and moving things around in that way. It, it, it's, you know, it seems a little, if you've ever seen someone do it, it's a little show-offy and a little nerdy, but you can really, uh, create, an extraordinary workflow um, that really does truly save time. And so I like seeing these things baked into Chrome OS. So again, coming out of teaching fifth and sixth grade media literacy, uh, using Adobe now Creative Cloud Express was Adobe Spark. Uh, it's important we use scripts for short videos that we made. 11-inch Chromebooks can be challenging because certain apps like Adobe Creative Cloud Express they don't want the screen to be too small. And so I ended up printing some things, but I, this summer when I went to Pittsburgh, I went to the Carnegie Mellon Robotics Institute and they had a lovely setup. There were Windows PCs that I, I managed, uh, but they were dual screen and it was absolutely fantastic to have our, our block code here. We were using uh, a derivative of Scratch. It was Scratch, but it was a specialized Scratch for Lego. And then <clears throat> we had our, our learning management system over here on the side with all of our instructions and, and little animated GIFs and, and everything and just wonderful. So, again, I know that reality is not present for a lot of students and even for a lot of teachers but I think it's something we need to consider if you happen to be the educational technology procurement person thinking about screen size. Obviously, an 11 inch Chromebook is cheaper than a 13 inch Chromebook, but we need to think about purpose and what we're doing and what, you know, I might even be thinking about in my classroom. I don't know we're, we have a whole new space uh, in, in the school where I'm now a teacher. Um, and I don't know what the practicality of, of doing this with mobile is. But especially for, for doing coding with instructions and we have, you know, students do this with videos and things like that, too. 
a multi monitor setup is really is really ideal. Um, that may not be realistic, and so maybe we'll partner up, and maybe one student will be using their screen, you know, with the instructions or the script, and somebody else is 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 producing, and therefore it's you know two kids working together using two screens. Um, but I would be interested to know how many educational professionals today are working with two screens. My perception is that during the pandemic, a lot of us became aware, you know, especially using Zoom, uh, which was a little more friendly, I think, for two screen than Google Meet just how fantastic it is. And you feel like you have this command center, right? But, yeah. you know, you've got your chat windows and you've got your content and you've got your other documents and, and things to refer to, et cetera. So when did anyway. you have your first second monitor set up, Wes? How long has it been for you? Mm. So, uh, and sadly, I, we, we parted with a lot of things. We left <laughs> you know, I think I parted with five computers. I mean, the original PowerBook 100, which I, I would have wow. never voluntarily gotten rid of that. I saved my original first-gen iPod. Oh, there's a lot of stuff we couldn't uh, do. But um, I had an original white MacBook. Uh, it, may have, it may have been, a, uh, I think it was, a G, it was a G3 or a G4. Anyway, there was a little 12-inch um, PowerBook that I had. And I had this honking monster. It took literally two of us to to put it on the desk, you know, monitor. And so I would, I would hook that up and, and use that in a two, but that would have been 2003, 2002, something like that. But that was probably yeah. my first dual monitor setup. Yep. That's me too. Um, and, uh, it, it, you know, remember I was a PC guy back in the day. So, um, I, you know, it was a little harder because I would had to install a third party video card and then make sure the drivers worked and then have a second monitor. And I remember the first time it turned on, I was, blown away by it but yeah it's been you know 20 years now minimum since i've had that set up and you know i in fact i used to get mocked a little bit because i i well i had a three monitor set up when i taught at great falls high and, and this was in 2002 to 2004 and then i went to capital and had two uh a, a two monitor set up and um uh in fact i i got a superintendent visit one day and he says is this the command center and i said well i just made you say that so i'm gonna vote yes but um, the, the thing that, that, that's interesting about that is that it's been a long time secret of geeks about how productive that is, but there's research behind this that having, you know, you have to be mindful of it. And if you're just putting up distracting things on your side monitor, that's not helping you at all. But yeah, I, I think that's an enormously interesting question about how many people are doing that in comparison to the good old days. Working in the college of education at Texas tech from 2001 to 2006, um, that was just something that kind of happened over time and was already probably happening was that sort of every assistant ended up with, with two monitors, but realizing the benefits of that, yeah. the most extreme command center I've ever seen was at the university of North Texas in the college of information. There was a semester right. where I, I taught as an adjunct there and wrote my first three chapters of my dissertation and the director of it for the college literally had eight screens eight and some of these were like i think televisions but i mean we're talking a wall but wow i uh it's interesting i i, I mean i do love screens i've been not fighting with but just i would i would have loved to put one in our old kitchen my wife's like no we do not need a screen here but we can have a digital <laughs> frame there it'll be wonderful we can look at the mountains there the calendar can be there you know so Anyway, it's uh, yeah, it's it, it, it's a very practical thing to think about. And like I said, as a teacher, you know, thinking about how maybe we, we need to partner up kids or, you know, but if 
if I have my ideal robotics lab right now, it would be a multi-monitor deal. And since kids have their own device, this would just be an external monitor that kids can plug into. And I know, I know teachers and, and have for, for years that have set up collaboration stations. We've seen libraries doing this with collaboration stations where it's here, bring your device, you know, plug in your monitor, have a large screen. And that can either replace your screen or mirror it, or it can, you know, be an extension of it. So thankfully, video cards are much more powerful and, you know, all that technology on whatever platform you are works better. And it even works on, on Chrome. So it's good. Yep. Very good. Well, Dr. Neifer, we have so many great articles. Um, gosh, we're just going to barely scratch the surface. Um, I just noticed this one that you put in, and I didn't know this. Twitter is raising its subscription price. Yeah, this uh, this one really befuddles me. So uh, Twitter Blue is a service that was announced what, like six months ago, and I'm a Blue subscriber. Dr. Ferrer, are you a Blue subscriber? I, I think it's worth three bucks a month, and it gives you a couple of, of different things that I think are great. Um, the first one is that um, uh, uh, it doesn't get rid of ads, which I wish it did, but it does allow you access to many articles for free. Um, that are subscription services otherwise. Uh, it also allows you to see a lot of articles from providers ad-free. So when you click on um, the article, you go to it, and the ads are less. And I'm not – that's a little weird to me because I, I kind of want to figure out what the economic transaction is there uh, for the sites that are, are receiving the link in. Uh, but still, that that that's a good deal for me that there's no ads there. I mean, I'm a very um, a big ad block guy. Uh, but still, I can notice a difference um, when I'm going from uh, Twitter on one of those ads. Um, and then um, some of the, the the changes are things that that uh, old uh, platforms used to do. They that they uh, um, uh, uh, kind of sucked into it, including the ability uh, to uh, look at the links that your friends are sharing. So exam so your friends or your friends of friends. So it's a way of kind of seeing what's going on in your network. Uh, you could create a news feed that way. Uh, you know, it's based on, on the preferences of people that you're following. Um, and I'm trying to think is what else is there? Not well, that's, yeah, that's the main one. And that's uh, what was, uh, what was the def now defunct app? Um, Nuzzle, Nuzzle, yeah, Nuzzle. Yeah. Yep, that was a great app, which would not only use Twitter but also Facebook and show and crowdsource and show you what your friends are reading or liking and what friends of friends. So um, it's a it basically just gives you access to a more powerful algorithm, um, I think. But and I'm yeah, it's kind of a bummer it doesn't just come for everybody. But are you going to maintain your uh, subscription with an increased price? You know, I got to think about it. I, you know, I, I notice, you know, Twitter, um, blue, right? So, uh, from the standpoint that, uh, you know, like I, I'm, I'm noticing enough that it's not like it's in the background for me. So I think I would notice it if it's gone. But the bottom line is that, um, I'm not sure if it's worth six bucks a month, right? I mean, at that point, that well, the thing that I think is the funny equal to that—that's the cost of Discovery Plus uh, per month. And I like Discovery Plus as a streaming service; it's pretty great. Um, you know, I get to see all the HGTV, Food Network, uh, and and those kinds of channels content. Um, and that's six bucks a month. I think Apple TV Plus is six bucks bucks a month. And I'm just trying to compare that to getting a couple of ad-free things and some uh, occasional ability to see links of friends and friends of friends. I'm just not sure if it's worth that. 
And I would prefer actually to pay a dollar a month just for Twitter if it got rid of the ads and, you know, kept, uh, you know, it would, at least it would, it would help deal with the, the bot issue and spam issue, which is, you know, not terribly bad for me on Twitter, but still an issue. You don't have an article about this in there, and I'm just going to go to Google News really quick. But, you know, the Elon Musk purchase of Twitter, you know, basically he's trying to get out of it. Um, yeah, he's he's been citing the bot dispute and whatever, but it says oh, Elon Musk sells $7 billion in Tesla stock for Twitter deal. So I want, they were, I guess it's going to trial. So um, yeah. anyway, it's isn't it crazy? Wow. It, it really is. Yeah. It's well, that Twitter has an outsized impact on mainstream media and political dialogue. I wish we could. I wish we could keep Twitter and the ways in which we can have conversations and have direct access to lots of folks uh, without having this sort of weaponized by by trolls and others. You know, impacts of it. So anyway, yep, I'm just, I couldn't agree more. Don't have an answer for that. Just a, yep. that one's for free, folks. That's just a free one I'm throwing in tonight. <laughs> um, okay, I want to do a quick privacy one. Um, so this could actually have gone under the Googles, <clears throat> but I put it under privacy. Uh, this is Verge, July 27th. Google, like Amazon, what are you thinking? Google will let police see your video without a warrant. So <clears throat> one of the reasons that I have decided to settle on Google instead of Amazon for our Internet of Things, which, by the way, I'll be recreating in our new home when we move out of this Airbnb, um, has been my perception that Google is just protecting things a little bit more uh, and maybe just a little bit less creepy. Um, I don't know if that's a warranted opinion. Um, according to the article by Mitchell Clark, Arlo, Apple, Waze, W-Y-Z-E, and Anchor, have all promised not to do that. Um, but Google is saying in the article that, hey, if there's an emergency and we think that somebody's life can be saved because of this video, we're going to let police have it. Now, that that actually seems fairly reasonable. Uh, but as is the case with all kinds of consumer privacy issues, there are questions of how this is going to be used, in fact, and what kinds of of outlier cases there's going to be, et cetera, et cetera. I think that just, just as we should safely assume anything we put online today or any account that we have can be hacked, others can access it, it can be made public, I think that video should probably be treated the same, especially since video is just uploaded to the cloud. And it's not just police. Anyway, because, I mean, the thing is, it doesn't matter whether the police or anybody else have it. I mean, things can be hacked. Things can be hacked. So anyway, thoughts on this, Dr. Knife, or is this a surprise to you at all? It, it Well, it's it's only a surprise from the fact that um, I feel like, well, I wouldn't want to be a PR person at Amazon. I guess I'll, I'll just start there. But the the bottom line is, is that, you know, I understand, I'm pretty sure there's a bunch of terms of service uh, sitting in, you know, uh, all these technologies, uh, user agreements that you can click on and find out more information. So I'm sure the people consented to this. But the bottom line is, uh, the other thing that's also correct, too, that people don't have really as much of a right to privacy once they're outside their homes and they think they do, right? Like, I can literally go downtown right now and start a video camera and no one has a right to privacy there. 
um, period. End of story. You're out in public. And a lot of people think that you have to consent um, uh, to having video taken of you in public. You don't. If you're in your private home, there's an awful lot of things that you uh, can be protected from then. But when you're out in public, it means nothing uh, from the standpoint of privacy because you're in public. You don't have uh, uh, the protection of your home. And the reason why that I think it's important in context of these articles is that um, uh, those are longstanding expectations in, in the United States and jurisprudence, uh, uh, you know, that you don't have, you know, certain protections when you're out in public. But if there's something that, uh, 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 you know, changes that calculus a bit, it's probably worth revisiting. Um, I'm not entirely sure if the current Supreme Court it would be, you know, a privacy activist court, um, to put that in a, a pretty bland way. But the bottom line is, is I do think that there are a lot of things we need to revisit because laws don't protect us as much as we think they do. And, um, you know, I know there are services that do things like uh, have a camera on streets and literally are taking pictures of every car and recording the driver's license. And they or I'm sorry, the, the car license plate and they sell that data. Uh, and that's perfectly legal to do because you have no expectation of privacy. You're driving down a street, uh, photos taken of you. Um, you have no expectation of privacy and your, your, your license plate is, 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 is a matter of public record. The things that can be done with surveillance video today using open tools would probably scare a lot of folks. And I have two fast stories from my, my former school. We have an amazing high school computer science teacher. Um, shout out Rob Huber. And there were a couple projects. Well, actually, I think I think maybe one of them they are doing. And and it, the one that they couldn't do was they were going to just go ahead and set up a camera where all of the high schoolers come in and then use the facial recognition database to go ahead and do attendance. <laughs> and the thought was, well, that's just going to be a little too creepy and too invasive. Reality check. We have over 100 cameras. There's surveillance cameras on that campus they're not, to my knowledge, hooked up. They're not, you know, the video footage wouldn't be uploaded to the cloud and it wouldn't be hooked to an AI algorithm. But there are, there's just, it's pretty easy, quote unquote. I guess that's a, that's, that's sometimes a, not a great word to use with technology, but it is not an incredibly complicated nor expensive thing for people to create uh, some pretty powerful solutions like that. I don't remember if he actually got this one going, but students as, as a project were setting up a license plate scanner uh, on the, the side of our campus where our preschool is to basically just go ahead and scan the license plates of parents and then, and then notify the folks at the door, hey, you know, Joey's mom is here. And uh, anyway, that kind of thing is quite doable today. And I think that there is a level of educational informing that needs to happen with all of us, with not not just students, but with parents as well, in terms of the potential intrusiveness and then also just the ubiquity of surveillance cameras and footage and, and what can happen with it. I mean, we've mentioned this on the show, but I'm not seeing it right now because I'm not watching us on Facebook, but we have live transcription, which I think was just turned on by default. I don't think I had to do anything special for that. But there are implications to that saying, hey, anything we say here is being not just recorded, but it's being transcribed and therefore it's searchable and therefore it's connected to our digital footprint. 
yada yada. So yeah, totally. We have so many articles. I rather than just like go through a whole category, I say we just jump to jump to the ones that we're most interested in, or we want other person to talk about. Sure. Well, um, let me do. Um, did, you, did you do the TikTok Gen Z search one? No, or I, I did. Yeah, that's a great one. Uh, let's, yeah, why don't let's talk you do about that one? Where did I stick that one? That's under media literacy. Yeah, where where it probably belongs also under tech correction. So, uh, Business Insider, July thirteenth. Um, uh, half of Gen Z reports that they use TikTok and Instagram. Um, uh, for search instead of Google, and that's according to, do, to, to Google's own data. And uh, quoting the article, nearly 40% of Jenny prefers searching on TikTok and Instagram over, over Google search and maps, according to Google's internal data first reported by TechCrunch. TikTok, um, which is the fastest growing social media app, has exploded in popularity the last few years, so much so has inspired social media companies Instagram and Snapchat to roll out copycat features, as in Reels and, and, and Spotlight. Uh, and now a Google executive has confirmed that TikTok's format is changing the way young people conduct internet searches and Google is working to keep up. So in other words, um, they, uh, 40% of young people quoting Google's internal uh, study, uh, this is a Google senior vice president, 40% of young people, when they're looking for a place for lunch, don't go to Google maps or search. They go to Instagram or TikTok. And personally, that is shocking to me. Um, it's not surprising, but it's pretty shocking. And what it tells me is that I just we're not spending enough time on media literacy, right? Like, I, I have no problem with TikTok as an informational uh, uh, architecture, right? Because I've learned myself a lot on TikTok. And although I haven't pulled the trigger yet... Um, I soon will be joining ridiculous people like Dr. Fryer becoming a barbecue connoisseur. And I can't wait to get into all the gear and it's going to be nerdy. And I have had some long conversations with my wife. And this is mostly me talking out loud saying that, well, I'm not going to buy this stuff. if I'm not going to make sure I maintain it in a pristine way and all sorts of stuff. But um, talk about a gearhead hobby that was made for me. But, you know, uh, it's been both uh, a lot of enticement on the part of, of, of Wes, and it's also been a TikTok that's really encouraged me to see a lot of interesting options in that. And the fact that I, you know, have, have been able to reaff be reaffirmed with that, and to be clear, TikTok does still have a lot, awful lot of dances, but... It's really a, a clever informational uh, 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 strategy, um, and there's a lot of um, very informative accounts on TikTok. Uh, autistic TikTok uh, is, is awesome. I've learned a lot about uh, the autism spectrum and a lot of adults living with autism and, uh, you know, what, what that means for their lives. Um, I'm on uh, prison reform TikTok, which features a lot of former inmates uh, that uh, incarcerated people that... Um, uh, talk about the, the, the challenges of the United States uh, penal system and, uh, what the aftermath of prison has been like. And there's seven or eight creators, uh, that are amazing in that space. And I've learned so much there, but I question it as a, um, I guess as an information gathering strategy search wise. Like, first of all, it's not that efficient would be the first thing I would say. But second, um, I just, you know, I, I also wouldn't search Twitter for stuff like that either because it's just, it's a very kind of wild west of, of opinions. And, you know, so is the Google searching too. But once you can kind of sniff out the platforms that provide accurate information, I think it's pretty easy, um, uh, from there. So thoughts, Dr. Fryer. 
Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, I'm going to take us down a rabbit hole with your barbecue comments in a second. But like, I think that article is one of the most significant wow statistic art statistic articles that we've shared in, in weeks and weeks because um, I have used the number for a long time. What's the most popular search engine in the world? It's Google. What's the second most popular? It's YouTube. And so for 50% of those generations to be using social media platforms is a really big deal and, and needs a lot of conversation. But I've got to say a couple things about barbecue. So, you know, we packed up two U-Haul trailers, three used Toyotas, two golden retrievers and four people and drove a thousand miles uh, a week and a half ago across the country. Right outside this door of my Airbnb is the Rectech RT700 Bull Smoker, which I've got, I've got a half price pork butt that I'm going to have to smoke like, you know, tomorrow night. Uh, you're going to need to acquire one of these, Dr. Neifer. Uh, this is the Green Mountain yep. Grill Pizza Peel. Um, you can put the, the Green Mountain pizza grill insert either onto a Rectech or a Green Mountain. Uh, fantastic. I think you can get temperatures up to like 750 degrees on the wow. stove. It's awesome. I, I, I crank mine just to 350 and cook for six minutes. Uh, and frozen cauliflower pizza from Costco actually tastes amazing. Okay, but here's the other thing. This is just kind of funny. All right. So this is an ammo case, but it is not filled with ammo. What it is filled with our barbecue spices. <laughs> so when you are bitten by the bug of barbecue, you know, you're going to have, I mean, who could travel without Meech Church, you know, Holy Gospel or, you know, uh, Cattleman's Lone Star brisket rub. Anyway, I, I could, I could go on and on. I'm overjoyed that you're going to, you're going to join the barbecue crew. So, but I'm also super interested in this whole TikTok thing because as Viewers may know, Dr. Neifer, um, I was on TikTok before, but I wasn't sharing anything much at all and just not doing much. But like food porn is a real thing and like people want to see barbecue. I mean, I've, I've loved that on Instagram. I have a Cook with West channel, but I just made my my uh, my TikTok channel into a Cook with West and it's just it's all barbecue. So. That is fascinating, though, about these other niches, because that's an example of the long tail, which is a great thing to introduce folks to if they're not familiar with that concept. Because, like, how many people are interested in prison reform? There's, you know, across the whole population of the United States of the world, there's a sizable amount. But how do those people find each other? Wow, I guess they're finding each other on on TikTok. So I'm I I think that kind of thing is so valuable. Maybe, maybe you do share on Twitter, but like. Those kinds of things, like these kinds of channels, it's sort of like there's a word that Alan Levine taught me uh, about your WordPress blog, which I can't remember now, but it basically means here's all the plugins I use. Now, from a security standpoint, that's a dumb thing to share because it's like, oh, look, you could hack me if, you know, you know, I'm running these plugins. But knowing like, you know, the channels that you follow on YouTube, the you know the instant the, the the TikTokers that you follow those those kind of things. I think that's a, that'd be a great Ed Camp session, actually, right? You know things you learn things I'm learning on TikTok or or people I follow on TikTok. So that's that's fascinating. And I wonder how many teachers you know here we are starting the school year, right? How many teachers realize that so many kids and I'm talking college professors, instructors, as well as as K twelve. That's a that's a major statistic to talk about search. So 
I, I wonder if the founders of TikTok had any clue the behemoth and the massive popular platform that they were going to be giving birth to. Well, I will say um, I did uh, uh, meet with a colleague a couple weeks ago uh, at a conference and actually heard him interact with his kiddos, and he doesn't allow them to go on TikTok, and it's not because of any perceived danger. He doesn't like how quickly the videos go by and how it really does kind of mess with your attention span a little bit. And I think there's a lot to that. I think that that is indeed correct, uh, the way he's perceiving that, but... Uh, you know, I, I would say that I'm just not sure we're talking about this stuff enough. And, um, you know, and, and, uh, you know, uh, if you have a specialty in the world, whether it's something you teach or it's a, it's a hobby you have, go check out TikTok and search for those things and make an assessment is, you know, is the information there being, uh, per, you know, correctly portrayed, right? Is, is, is good quality information uh, being shared when you're putting in search terms there? If the answer is no, then maybe consider doing a little media literacy um, uh, with your kiddos and share that very experience, right? Like that's that's exactly the kind of honest information that I think helps start good dialogues with kids in classrooms. Absolutely. Okay. Wow. We got about 15 minutes left. Um, I think I needed, I want to hit this article under the tech correction. So this is from Los Angeles Times, July 21st. Uh, this is fascinating for multiple reasons. The headline here, he surveyed 8,600 Americans about political violence. The results are beyond scary. Um, now I shared, I guess I didn't, uh, this isn't a gift link. I, this is a free one, so you're not gonna you're not gonna have to subscribe to look at this. Uh, this is by Steve Lopez, um, and I'll just read the initial two paragraphs. When UC Davis violence researcher Dr. Garen Wintemute queried Americans on political violence, race, and threats to democracy, he didn't know exactly how scary the results would be. "Quote: We expected the findings to be concerning, but these exceed our worst expectations," says Wintemute, a go-to source of mine for many years on gun violence, which he witnesses firsthand as an emergency room physician in Sacramento. Uh, the report by Wint Mute and his team at the Violence Prevention Research Program was released by UC Davis on Wednesday on the eve of the last round of congressional hearings into the January 6th takeover of the Capitol. The findings were posted by MedRxiv, a health science website that lists works in progress prior to peer review. So one of the things that I think is fascinating about this is this is written by an academic professor, but the professor did not submit this for traditional peer review, because if they had, it probably wouldn't see the light of day and be published in a journal that almost no one reads until after the midterm elections. And the researcher has felt, and I think this is very compelling, that that the conclusions here and the information here is so important, it needs to see the light of day before the academic publishing and, and uh, you know, journal vetting process would would allow it to. Um, so why am I talking about this on a, on a technology show? Um, the ways in which and this is under the, the tech correction, right? The ways in which social media platforms have allowed us to live inside filter bubbles. And like we're talking about with TikTok, to live in a world full filled with pollution, uh, and polluted information, but also filled with, with information that is crafted with very specific purposes and, and in some cases conspiratorial, just it just challenges the truth. It's just so 
hard and difficult. And there are real implications to this, um, as we saw on January 6th at the, the capital of our nation. And I think, again, just as you're saying, we're not talking enough about media literacy and some of this. I don't think that we are grappling enough directly with the implications of this for our democracy. And so I'm not trying to just be a doomsdayer here, but this really got my attention. And like I said, one of the things is as a PhD and somebody who's published before and aspires to, you know, probably publish again, this is the first time I've ever heard of an academic saying, you know what, this is this information and these conclusions and these findings, they're too important for the peer review process. I've just got to go put this out here. I've, ne I've never heard of anyone doing that. Probably th this isn't the first time. Any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, that is pretty mind-blowing. And um, I wonder, I, I, I am not a conspiracy theorist as a general rule of thumb, um, but I do think that there is, um, that there is a, a, some deeper stories going on here that are just not being covered by the mainstream media. And there's a lot of evidence of it popping up all over the place. And maybe you don't really uh, see that un until after the big thing has happened. But, um, you know, it, I guess that feeds into my uh, perception, maybe even paranoia that, uh, that something big is about, uh, something big is happening in the, in, in the relatively near future. I'll, I'll pick my words carefully here because this summer, uh, and I've just shared this with my wife before, um, I've really, well, in general, I, I, I try not to make myself a lightning rod for cultural culture war issues, right? And there's all kinds of ways that those of us who are on any kind of social media could, you know, become a lightning rod for yeah. saying something that, you know, in, in a certain face-to-face -face context may not have any problem at all. But, you know, put onto social media, you know, who knows who's going who's gonna to take that and where that's going to go, um, especially prior to leaving Oklahoma, and even now a little bit, I have gained some new insights into gun culture and firearms culture. Um, and it, it is, there's a lot of things that are, that are going on uh, in our country that this, this article un, unveils some of those things about perceptions uh, about political violence and things like that. And so I just, this is a, will be a plea again to civics teachers and to educators like, the roles that we play in educating about governance, about rights, um, about, you know, responsibilities that we have, uh, about the value and, the, and what is so special about our country and, and about, you know, representative democracy in general. I mean, across the, the globe and in the course of history, you know, representative democracy has just not been a thing for that long. And so um, I will continue in my new role at my school to want to, to talk about media literacy and to talk about some of these issues. But as a middle school teacher, too, I mean, I'm not teaching high school and even college at this point. There, there's a lot of issues. And maybe even if I was, there's a lot of issues I really just don't want to touch. But um, there's important, important things here. And, and this article, to me, also speaks to the velocity of information. You know, when a college professor who is normally publishing in academic journals feels that to do the right thing, they can't publish in that format, that also suggests something that might be broken and in need of fixing. Uh, and I think that's a so that, that's something to ponder and talk about. So I don't know how many folks that are in higher ed are listening to us and listening to this show. 
but that's something I think we need to continue to wrestle with. And I have myself as I've thought about, oh, do I want to go to higher ed and do I want to be in a publish or perish, you know, situation? I've always wanted to to write things and publish things that are being used by practitioners and hopefully a lot of, you know, not that I just want to go for eyeballs and, and tons of attention, you know, without without purpose, but I but I would like the things that I write and work on to to have an impact in the world and not just be, you know, put on a journal shelf that 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 no one reads. So anyway, I think there's some good stuff to unpack there. We only have about ten minutes left, Doctor Knife. Wow. Can you believe it? Where else would you like to go? This is what happens when we take a couple weeks off, I guess. That's right. Um Let's see here. Um, maybe some. Uh, well, uh, this is a this is a potential rabbit hole, but I'm gonna go ahead and jump right in. Um, uh, this is the future UG article. This is from um, The Verge on July 13th, and it it kind of talks about the ongoing issue regarding um, features as a subscription, and they're particularly what, what, talking about cards. What category are you under here for the? Article? I'm sorry, I'm under future UG. It's the second oh. to last category in the bottom. That's a category. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it is indeed uh, a category. And um, uh, the article is the future of cars is a subscription nightmare. And uh, this talks about something that, um, um, that has been an issue with a lot of, of high end cars. Uh, Tesla, for example, um, started offering um, the kind of semi autonomous driving cars. And that feature, I believe is a subscription feature. So uh, the software had to download to your car and you had to pay for it per month. But um, they're talking about something that happened that BMW uh, uh, started selling $18 a month subscriptions to heated seats, including the country of South Korea. The German automaker had previously tried and failed to get Customers pay $8 a month for access to Apple Play and, or I'm sorry, Apple CarPlay and Android Audio features that are otherwise free in other companies' vehicles. But even after BMW reversed its decision to force people to pay something that they used to be free, it's, it was clear they wouldn't stop there. And, um, I, I'm just going to go ahead and say this is a terrible idea. Um, it's one thing, I mean, I, the Tesla thing to me, could be justifiable from the standpoint that you're, you're actually downloading new software to your Right? It's going to add functionality that doesn't exist. That I can at least buy. But selling access to the stuff in a car you've already purchased is kind of a gray area for me. And, and you know, I, I would imagine that you might uh, agree in the wintertime to $18 if your high knee was cold and you were sitting um, uh, in a car warm, warm up. If it's cold enough, you might even pay $18 for the day for that feature but that doesn't make it a viable uh, strategy. And I'm also shocked that BMW thought that people would pay $80 a month for access to CarPlay. And again, I love CarPlay, and I'm, I'm sad that I'm going to probably have my car, 2014 car that I bought new in 2014. And I'm kind of a drive-the-wheels-off-the-car kind of guy. Like, my next car will have a jetpack on it. That's how long I would be my, keep my current car. But the bottom line is, is that I would never pay 80 I mean... That's like that's like nine hundred dollars a year um, for that, um, and it's cool, but it isn't that cool. That's a that's a new pellet smoker, Doctor Knifer. That's exactly that. I'd rather smoke meat than uh, have turn by turn directions on a big screen in my car, right? Especially since I'm carrying my phone anyways. So I, I guess the reason why I'm mentioning this is that I think this is a dark future for software and hardware. 
And to be honest, I think schools could end up getting a raw deal in the bigger situation because, um, you know, already schools have to stretch every technology dollar. Machines have to stay into service way longer than they should. And I still know schools that are using Adobe Creative Cloud 2, right, which was released like 18 years ago because they can't afford the licensing for Adobe uh, uh, Creative Cloud Online, uh, the new version that's that automatically updated because it's, it's just too expensive for their school. Like, I can't imagine, you know, uh, getting access to the U.S., the back USB ports by paying $2.99 a month or um, uh, 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 adding in a, uh, that, that the tablet's GPS only works if you're paying a $3.99 a month for access to that hardware. So it's a disturbing future, um, and uh, I don't like it for consumers either, um, but thoughts, Dr. Fryer? Well, I mean, it's a little bit just like we see with all kinds of educational technology platforms, and, you know, to include digital music, is it's just all about the subscriptions. Yeah. Uh, so we've talked before on the show about doing an audit, um, actually changing your, your debit card, if you end up using that for subscriptions and stuff like that, can be kind of helpful for that because then you can at least disconnect all these things that you have and then, you know, take take stock of whether or not, it's actually worth it, you know, to pay for all these kinds of things. Um, yeah, automakers are, are, are in a huge transition. I, I, I'm driving our 20-year-old uh, 2002 Toyota Highlander right now. So I've taken that back to one of our kids. Um, you know, I, uh, I actually do miss CarPlay. Um, it is, I, I think it is a pretty big safety thing to have that on the screen and not have that. Like right now, I've just, I, I have it on my phone. Um, but it's certainly not worth paying eighty dollars for, uh, and so I, uh, you know, with with electric cars and, and software updates are going to be worth paying for, right? You're going to want a company that stays in business, just like we've talked yes. about Internet of Things. You really don't want, I don't want, in our new house to be putting in smart light switches, which are going to be, you know, not just plugged into an outlet, but but an actual switch that's hardwired. The firmware updates on that are actually important. Um, we need to pay attention to these things. And, and obviously, a light switch is not, a, not an automobile. But the issues are similar because they both need firmware updates. Uh, and you want to, you know, you want to bet on a winning horse. You, you really shouldn't buy something that is going to be going out of business. You're going to want a company that's going to have a commitment to updates. But in the case of this auto stuff, I think you're going to want somebody that – has a reasonable pricing structure. So I'm going to read this some more. And we're, you know, in an ideal world, we'd be um, in the market for a, an electric vehicle, you know, in the not too distant future. I don't know that that's going to be in the cards, but fascinating to see how technology is continuing to impact. And the last thought here is I think cars to a degree are going the way of aircraft. And I've had folks working for Boeing uh, or Northrop Grumman or some of these other companies you know, tell me that that basically this is just flying code. You know, the the new tanker that's going to take the place of the KC-135, which is going to have flown for like over a hundred years. It's incredible how many years we get out of our airframes. I mean, the amount of code in that is is just mind-boggling. And so that's one of the ways Tesla has a a lead on many auto manufacturers today with respect to self-driving cars um, and other kinds of features is just, you know, their code base is so good and they've got this, you know, great updating network, et cetera. So probably could do a whole show on that, but I regret to say we got five minutes. So I don't know. We could, we could do another article or two, or we could 
geek of the week it and be done. What what are your what are your druthers? Um, yeah, let. Uh, Could you do the Excel, about... the the AI bot? The, that, yeah, that... that's exactly what I was looking at too, Wes. So, okay. um, Gizmodo reported on Saturday. There's a new AI chatbot down, and you may remember the last time we down, went down this road. It was Microsoft Tay, T A I, and uh, which they unleashed on Twitter, and within. Um, 24 hours, Tay had become a conspiracy theorist Nazi. And I wish I were saying that colorfully, but no, she was literally espousing uh, uh, white supremacist rhetoric. So the bottom line is is that these technologies still have a lot to go. And I was trying to remember today, Wes, maybe you do, the first kind of chat person the the it, like from 30, 40 years ago in 1980s, there was a there was kind of a bot like experience. Uh, that actually did a pretty good job of, of, of going back and forth. I was trying to remember the name of, of, of that technology, but um, uh, uh, you can actually access it. And this is from Meta, by the way, the, the good folks that used to be known as Facebook. And um, uh, this is um, uh, uh, called, um, I totally lost the name on here. Uh, Excel Formula Bot? Is, is that Excel Formula Bot? I think so. This is the Boy Genius Report. Game um, Changer. Game Changer no, I'm actually on a Gizmodo article. Oh, okay. But same topic, so. Okay, the one I was looking at. Oh, it's BlenderBot. Excuse me. Oh, okay. okay. So this is Meta's new. Maybe we're talking about a different article, actually. It's the same big big picture topic, but um, Facebook or Meta now has BlenderBot, which is a conversational AI prototype, and you can start chatting. It. And so I spent 20 minutes uh, talking with BlenderBot um, on Saturday when I read this article. And I guess where I'd report back to you is that it wasn't all that interesting. Um, and in fact, um, it wasn't that hard to send BlenderBot down some rabbit holes. And what I was trying to figure out is, you know, like if they were accessing a large body of information, if I could get it to talk about things that were familiar to me, and they get a sense of that. So, for example, I am a distance learning guy. That's what I do professionally. So I asked them some questions about distance learning. And every time I changed the topic, um, BlenderBot actually would try to nudge me back to talking about taking an, an, an online algebra course, which is what I had talked about with the earlier bot. But the problem I ran into was that anytime I tried to get into something a little more nuanced, it would miss. It would misanswer the question. It would ask me a side question, to try to get me to change topics. I'm assuming something it was more comfortable talking about from an AI standpoint, um, but then didn't uh, didn't really lead me to, to much conversation. So, I think it's a fun thing to play with. It might be a fun thing to show students uh, to kind of give a sense of that, and it also tells me perhaps that the people at Meta have a long, long ways to go. Wow. The other article which I had seen, and I'll just do a fast one here, uh, was from uh, BGR.com. Game changer for Excel. Free AI bot creates any Excel formula you need. Oh, and yeah. This so, is super cool. Yeah. Go ahead. Go go for it. Well, yeah. This is a website that uses AI. You just tell it what you want it to do, and it will create Excel formulas for you. So even if you're an Excel guru, I would imagine you could get an awful lot of, of really, really, really cool things from that. And this is definitely, I think, one of the most undertaught and under-discussed productivity tools oh, in yeah. classrooms today. 
we used to do, you know, hey, you had, you know, Microsoft Office, so we'd cover spreadsheet, but it's not covered much. And this, this looks amazing. So Dr. Neifer, uh, I'm sad, but we're at the top of the hour and uh, you're actually the leader here. So, you know, if, if, whatever you want to take us, sir, we could sure. Do yeah, well, let's go ahead. We may let's not have left week. We've, we've left so much on the cutting room floor tonight. So I know we're just going to get cut in the next week then. So Wes, why don't you go ahead and share your geek of the week? Okay. My geek of the week is the ad observatory from NYU. And in addition to putting ad observatory in there, I've dropped a link to the center for uh, cybersecurity for democracy. And uh, they describe this as a project of NYU uh, cybersecurity for democracy provides access to explore political advertising across meta, including Facebook and Instagram search by keywords, topic, sponsor, or region to see data visualizations on spend messaging trends and more in Spanish and English. And so possibly if you want to talk about issues relating to how social media is being weaponized or even just utilized for political purposes and other purposes, these kinds of tools can be incredibly valuable. And I've run across several of these in the course of spending three summers with the Summer Institute in Digital Literacy with Renee Hobbs and Julie Quiro and other awesome people. So check that out. How about you, Dr. Neifer? Well, I have a really interesting uh, uh, a tool that I ran into that I've been playing with a little bit. It's called Kibble, um, and you can get you can download a copy at kibble.io. But Kibble is a browser alternative, but it's an alternative in a really different way. It is the Chrome browser, but it's not hosted on your computer. It's in the cloud, and it's streamed to you. And the idea is it will feel like, Super fast internet because they have a uh, a two terabyte down fiber network and I tested it on mainstream sites and I got a pretty impressive uh, download speed. But you're not gonna you're not gonna uh, uh, be stuck to your internet because streaming it to you is faster than actually sending it to you. So you can be on a modest computer with a relatively modest internet connection and still have access. To what feels like like you know gazoo bit internet, right? Um, uh, uh, inside of a Chrome browser, and there are it, it's a free service. Uh, they have add-ons you can buy that do things like have extra protection built in um, and that sort of thing. But the core service is free, and I haven't had the guts yet to sign in with my Google account because I want to know more about it before I do that. But I believe it works just with your established Google account. Um, so it, right now it's just, it's, it's, it's unsigned in, but I keep thinking about, you know, the kind of crappy older computers that sometimes we're stuck with in the world. If your browser's fast and your internet feels fast, it does not matter. You are fast. Yeah. Well, and I could even see if they ever have a Linux version, like this would be a fun thing to put on a minimalistic Chromebook. Ladies but, and gentlemen, that is a true geek of the week from Dr. Yeah. Kibble.io, um, and, um, it, you know, it's not super robust yet, but it's pretty darn cool. So, Wow. Well, Dr. Fryer, um, hey, where can we find you on the Internet? I'm at westfryer.com. You can go to westfryer.com slash after for lots of links, including all my cooking stuff. But W. Fryer is my handle on Twitter and the fastest way to get in touch with me. How about you? 
Um, I am best found on Twitter, Tech Savvy Teach. But this here is the Anthic Situation, and we're a once-a-week podcast that broadcasts at 7 p.m. Mountain Time, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. That's somewhere in the still in the middle of the night for our good friends in Western Europe. If you want to catch us live, plenty of places to do that. Uh, go to our Twitter account at Tech Savvy. I'm sorry, that's my Twitter account. Go to our Twitter account at TechSR, and we're happy to uh, ch- uh, 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 t- tweet out that link every week. We're on YouTube. We're on Facebook. If you want to download us a podcast, we are available everywhere. Finder podcasts are aggregated. Um, or you can go to our website, edtechsr.com, download the tiny mp3, or edtechsr.com slash links, and see of all of our links. Hey, we hope you have a great week. We know schools are starting across the United States. Um, our um, uh, best wishes for a wonderful school year go out to all of our friends uh, anywhere in education in any capacity or role. Stay safe, stay savvy. We'll see you next week on the EdTech Situation Room. Good night. Good night, everybody.